With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Yes, we are. Good morning, good morning, everybody. From the banks of the foggy, foggy, foggy Sacramento River this morning, this is Chuck Bartok here for the 374th episode of the Focus Society of Overachievers. Getting on near the the uh, big holiday celebration, my gosh, if you watch television, uh, you know, you'd think the, the world is just a wonderful time of year because it's the time to spend all your money at the malls, uh, which I guess is a good thing. Uh, and, of course, we've talked on this program, and uh, the book here, Outwitting the Devil, that we're talking about, uh, kind of addresses some of these things because... You know, Napoleon Hill is talking to the devil, and the devil is telling him how he, the devil, has the opportunity to control the world. In fact, he is controlling the world in 1938, and of course, when you read how he's controlling it, you realize he hasn't lost his control. We're joined today by uh, Gerard King, our wonderful author friend, Lori Polina in St. Louis, and an old friend, Not oh, he's not old, but... A long-time listener and a good uh, contributor over the years past, Barry Groover in North Carolina. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Chuck. Are you there, Laurie? Yes, I am. Oh, it sounds like you're a million miles away. <laughs> I was across the room with the computer. The kids lost the handsets to our Uh-oh. for me, so I'm on speakerphone on the base. But... Oh, darn kids. What are we going to do with them? I don't know. <laughs> You'll have to keep them around for a while. Well, but they can drive me nutty. <laughs> right, there you go. Well, we're going to jump right into this. Uh, Barry, you haven't been around for a while, but we've been discussing a book called Outwitting the Devil. It is available at bestbusinessmindset.com slash devil. How convenient. And all that's going to do is take you to a shopping cart where there are used and new paperback and uh, hardbound Books available, very affordable prices. They change and fluctuate daily, so, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten dollars The thing that's interesting is this is one of the books, you know, we were just talking to Gerard King about his publications. This book really hasn't hit the marketplace like I thought it would. And, of course, as you read it and you read what Napoleon Hill is presenting, you can see why nobody involved in our current manipulation of society would really want this book publicized. Remember, it was written in 1938. Napoleon Hill's wife, Annie Liu, talked him into not publishing it. When Napoleon Hill died in 1970, Annie Lou had the rights to it, and she lived to 1984. She still refused to allow it to be published, although people in the foundation felt that she should. And uh, the, the manuscript fell into the hands of her niece, whose husband at that time happened to be in, in charge of the foundation, and uh, she refused to allow it to, have, to be published because they would feel it would besmirch the name Napoleon Hill 
and that it would uh, create controversy, especially among their staunch supporters in organized religion and higher education. Uh, you know, we all know that Napoleon Hill wrote Think and Grow Rich while he was uh, on the committee for Mr. Roosevelt, President Roosevelt, uh, on how to, on rebuilding America. Napoleon Hill was not really a fan of the regime, nor was he a fan of the philosophies, but it was a job. Hey, let's face facts, guys. Job's a job. And he wrote Think and Grow Rich was written for the common man to um, uh, learn how to become self-improved, to learn how to be entrepreneurs. And it was very well done. It was the book that started my career in 1960. But it it is kind of a gloss over. You know, that's why most people don't understand the book. We on this show have gone over it many, many times, and I think we have a better understanding of it. But outwitting the devil uh, holds no bars. Uh, no no bars hold. What's the word? <laughs> no holds barred. Uh it's a slugger. It also reveals to the reader in the beginning uh, some parts of Napoleon Hill's personality that a lot of people aren't aware of. A lot of people aren't aware that he packed a gun. There was a contract out on his life for a couple of years. He literally went into hiding. He happened to be absolutely dead broke and homeless at the time. And uh, this was when he was an adult and had a family. He was living off the charity of other members of the family. We didn't have welfare then. But um, And how he climbed out of that is discussed in this book. And then, of course, we move into the um, interview with the devil, and that's what we've been talking about. Um, I know Lori's read the book. Barry, you have, have you ever heard of the book, by the way, Barry? I had heard of it. However, I never had an opportunity to get my hands on a copy. Right. Uh, I've heard uh, several people refer to it as well as yourself, mm-hmm. and um, that's part of the reason I'm here is, you know, I'm certainly curious. Anything that Dr. Hill writes, right. um, um, I'm trying to think of the name of it. His, his book on persuasion, mm-hmm. I'll pick that up every now and again, and it's just full of gems. Anything he writes, I've really right. enjoyed, and you can, um, it's actually okay, I think, to cherry pick some of the stuff um, and just grab it and, mm-hmm. and work it into your life. Um a lot of these books cover so many concepts that are so deep and life-changing. Right. You, you, I have a tendency to eat the elephant. Mm-hmm. Instead of one and bite so at a time. <laughs> and so I've learned to eat it one bite at a time instead of trying to swallow the whole thing in one chunk. Right. And um, I do, as uh, one of my mentors suggested, I read several books at a time, um, just a few pages at a time, and mm-hmm. that way when a year's passed, I've read five excellent books instead of perhaps one and then waited a time frame. I've, I've established a habit of reading a little bit every day from a variety of books, kind of like I'm in college. And uh, he's so masterful with his words sometimes. Mm-hmm. He's so precise, and, and it's like a knife. It slices you open when you realize just how much truth is and how impactful that is and how impactful it can be on your life. Mm-hmm. When you got that behind you, so um, definitely glad to be here again. I've enjoyed right. doing that. Just third shift makes it kind of hard to get right. hold of you sometimes. But right. uh, hey, um, like you said, you got to make a living. Yep. Uh, one of the things I will say, and then it's my joy in coming here and discussing this wisdom and information that you is 
you know, basically free seven bucks, whatever you said. A you know, well, you, you could you can buy a hard hard cover for eighteen, probably. You know, I yeah. I, I have a hard cover because I appreciate books, but it's it's not the dollar thing. It's if you if you, you know, go to the library and get it for free for crying out loud. You know. Go ahead, Lori. Is that Lori? Yeah. Yes, that's what I did was I went to the library. <laughs> and check it out over and over again because nobody else is going to check it out. <laughs> no, it, it, it's interesting. You know, uh, Gerara mentioned uh, Dwayne Dyer. And, of course, we have all had all these, uh, uh, you know, eulogies for Zig Ziglar uh, passed away. And yes. And the, the Jim Rones and the Tony Robbins. Well, I, I, I'll tell you something. They present similar material, and maybe not so much. Well, I remember Zig in the old days when we were in the insurance business, but but you know when he was traveling around talking to agencies around the country. Uh, you got to remember that, that there's two things here that, that I think Orison Sweat Martin, who wrote the, the Miracle of Right Thought, uh, Napoleon Hill, and Charles Hannell. Now they were all entrepreneurs. But they weren't as great of self-promoters as some of the, what we call the Tony Robbins and people like that. They had a dream in their mind of presenting a fact or a philosophy. And their joy really came originally from doing that and not so much for the financial remuneration that followed. Whereas I I feel very heavily, and maybe other people may not, but a lot of the people that we pay an awful lot of money to listen to speak today, um, uh, I think their primary goal is the money that you're being they're being paid and not so much the message they are transmuting. Now, that's just a thought. At least to a part, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, they're using the wisdom that they share right. as a vehicle right. to a- attain their, their goals. Right. And, and, I, and that's good. I mean, it's good for industry. Don't misunderstand me. You know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with, you know, if I, w- I would uh, probably would uh, not be too uncomfortable with Tony Robbins' uh, gross or net income. Uh, it's a far, <laughs> far cry different than mine. But that's my choice. You see, I made the choice. And that's an interesting thing. I made a choice. But just real quick, we are talking about self-discipline and just a quick review of what we discussed last week. Napoleon Hill asks the devil in the beginning of the chapter, what preparation must one undergo before being able to move with definiteness of purpose at all times? And by the way, in this book, definiteness of purpose is mentioned more times than than in any other of Napoleon Hill's works. This really brings the thing home. You are nothing. Your life is empty unless you personally, you personally have created a definiteness of purpose in your life. The rest of it's all fluff. Like going to college, getting a job, all this, that's not definiteness of purpose. Because in most cases, people are doing those things not because they thought it out. Now, Again, there's exceptions to the rule. I'm saying in most cases, and all I have to do is look at the the caliber and the uh, and the just the cal- caliber of college graduates today, and wh- how little they know and how little they can do. Because unfortunately, they are not ever taught to think. I played golf yesterday with two retired professors from a very liberal university that happens to be not too far away from me. One of them was in political science, and the other was in organic chemistry. The organic chemist, of course, is a scientist, but the 
I had a lot of fun with the uh, political scientist professor. He's in his 80s. He's 86 years old. And uh, we, we had a wonderful sparring match for four and a half hours on the golf course. Um, it was interesting, the fact that it came up. And you know how you all, when you meet somebody, you ask them, you know, what do you do? What do you, and so on. And he said, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I, I just kind of, you know, do my thing. And he says, well, who did you work for? And I said, well, I've never had a job. And the first thing out of this 85-year-old man's mouth is, oh, you must be like Romney, born with a silver spoon in your mouth. Did everybody hear what I just said? That's exactly what the gentleman said to me. And I said, no, I'm the child of a couple of immigrants. You, you, you know, my dad was a steel worker. And it, but but he, here he is, a guy in his 80s. You, you see how indoctrinated he is to even have that thought. And he wasn't saying it as a joke. You know, It wasn't a funny joke. It's, it was his thought process. And as we went along uh, throughout the day, very polite, by the way, uh, the one thing that he did understand is uh, there is a tremendous lack of thinking today. And he, and he realized that he evidenced that in himself. But... Definiteness of purpose. The devil says, one must gain mastery over self. This is the second of the seven principles. And by the way, the seven principles are outlined in other chapters. You can go back uh, in our discussions, uh, episodes 371, 2, 3, and 4. Uh, 3, I mean, lack of self-mastery is of itself the most destructive form of indefiniteness. Napoleon Hill then asks, uh, where should one begin making a start to control self? And here we go. We're going to review it again because I want to bring it home to everybody's thought pattern. The th First, you have to master the three most powerful appetites <clears throat> responsible for the lack of most self-discipline. And those are the desire for food, the desire for the expression of sex, and the desire to express loosely organized opinions, which is a perfect example of what the gentleman said yesterday, maybe, huh? <laughs> a loosely organized opinion. Um, the desire for food, we talk about that, and I, we could spend weeks on that. Most of you know that I became obese because of lack of self-discipline over a period of three years. I can I can blame it on the change in my lifestyle. You, I can throw all the blame. The, the blame was simply my own my own getting off the track of thinking the right way and getting off habits, getting off habits that I knew I knew were best for me. And finally, in May second, when I realized I was obese and I did not like myself, when I looked at myself, I saw picture of myself and I read my doctor's report and I said that's the end I will no longer be obese I didn't say I'm going to try not to be obese I just said I am no longer going to be obese and today I'm not I'm not quite at the normal weight but awfully close what did this take nothing more than self-discipline did it take a huge investment into equipment and 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 buying books and yeah no it didn't. All it took was my, able, my ability to sit down and write out a plan of action, research the facts, 
and make a decision, make a decision based on how I uh, observed those facts and how I felt they could best apply to me, which is the same system that Napoleon Hill talks about in Think and Grow Rich. The six steps to success. Nothing's changed. It's all the same. Then you have to apply the self-discipline. So anyway, uh, mastering the appetite of food, and all we have to do is look across the United States and see what a terribly obese country we are, which is a beautiful way to subjugate people. You know, if we get a bunch of lazy people out there, they're not only lazy of the mind, they're lazy of the body. It's wonderful. And the reason most people, my blog on 90 Day Personal Fitness says I don't believe in diets. I'm not on a diet. I'm on a lifestyle change. Uh, so, so all I've done is change my food plan. So there's no negativity of even the word diet that, that comes into my mind. But um, Anyway, through this chapter 10, and you can review back last week, uh, uh, Napoleon Hill talks about these, or the devil talks about these three uh, appetites. And the last one, the loosely organized opinion, uh, independent thought. Our right is to have independent thoughts, and our right is to express them. But please, do not them, let them be loosely organized. This is what we saw during this last election. And this is what we still see today, is people who make a Facebook was, was fraught with regurgitated pap, regurgitated statements that were not those people's opinion, because not one of them, to, to almost the ones I know about, spent any time researching because I would refute their opinion with facts, with researched facts. But all they gave was a knee-jerk reaction self-regurgitated from what they heard on a soundbite. And you see, if we take away a person's ability to think or their desire to think, if we put people in a terrible physical position, you have a situation where a country large or small, can be dominated in the hands of a few, and, and those people can become enslaved, which, which the citizens of the United States, they're becoming enslaved to debt, they're enslaved to food, and they're enslaved to the pay window. They're enslaved to entitlement. And these are the things that Napoleon Hill, going through the Depression, going through his own personal, again, read the first part of this book. He was on the dole. Unfortunately for him at that time, we didn't have the magnificent welfare state that we have now. So anyway, chapter one, I mean, page 198. The only dependable power available to any human being, the only dependable power available to any human being is the power of their own thought. The only power they can control and can rely on. How hard is that for us to understand, Barry? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, I mean, why is that hard for us to understand? Because I do – let's go back to the habits that you were talking about. Um, mm -hmm. I, I have expressed it in a certain way. Um, you know, if you think of a life force not necessarily as what gives you life, mm -hmm. but the force that you exert – into society, um, I've said before that your your habit force becomes your life force. Yeah. And so it's it's the 
daily choices that you make and the habits that you establish for yourself through those daily decisions um, as we go through the minutia, uh, the, 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 the tiny little decisions that we make become knee-jerk. Those become habits, and then you almost ignore things. You operate on autopilot. Mm-hmm. And so when you're on autopilot and everything's knee-jerk, you don't feel like you have any control. Right. You don't feel like you're in control. You feel like, oh, well, you see an ad and you're, you're compelled to go buy something or, or whatnot. Um, I think that's part of what has happened with our society is that we've become a society of knee-jerk reactions. Mm-hmm. And we see an ad and we do one of two things. We, we've seen it before and we're going to ignore it. Or we see it and it still piques our interest and we see it over and over again and just like a habit, it becomes our reality because we focus on it enough and then we go buy it. You know, we, we focus on it and we have to have it. Um, as we establish our habits, as we make these decisions, the same decisions day and day again, as the days pass, you look back upon what you've done and what you've done is exactly what your habits dictate. That's the force behind it. And then the residue, or the, the not necessarily residue, but the effect that you put out into the world is controlled by that. And it's the self-discipline that you're talking about is that's the way you change your habits. You have to make a conscious decision, like you said. You decide, here's a habit I'm going to conquer. The only way to conquer a habit is to override it. You have to reprogram with new programming. That's right. Um, That's pretty much been proven psychologically, if I'm not mistaken. And, guys, just... It's amazing that what you said, that people don't even think they have any control over their lives. I'm on Facebook a good bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see person after person after person after person. All they do is they speak their world into existence by complaining. Mm-hmm. I don't like this. I don't like that. I'm sick. I'm sick. I'm sick. You know, the kid's sick. Um, negativity spews from their mouth. Mm-hmm. And we're, that whole entitlement thing, and that, it all comes from the negativity what I've done through Napoleon Hill and other uh, things that I've educated myself with is to do, I draw a circle around myself. I've said this many, many times. I've been doing it for six, seven years. Mm-hmm. I put my arms out and draw a sphere around me. I don't allow negativity into me. That's a habit that I have. Mm-hmm. So when it, it's helped me recognize the negativity and to shun it or to control it, um, control my reaction to it. And often I think it's also said that it's more so your reaction to the things that happen in your life is more telling as to, you know who you are and who you're going to be. Right. It, it, it's what you do about what you did, not so much about what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> you know that's that. I have I've used that. Uh, it, my my father kind of gave that to me as a teenager, and he said we judge people not by what they did. I don't want to hear the history about what you did. He makes his he made his judgment about people that he was thinking of hiring based on what they were doing about what they did. And and, and that can that can transcend Let, let's let's say for instance that uh, 10 years ago Barry you made a a big killing in the stock market or something. You know, I mean just using that as an example. Okay. And all I ever hear about is what you did about it. Well, what's really what gives me a better indication of how I can have faith, hope, and trust, or what you know, develop the relationship is well. Okay, fine, that's wonderful. What are you doing today about that? Did you give it all away? Did you squander it? Have you improved it? You see what I mean? Absolutely. 
And, and, and so it's not what you did in life that's important. It's what you are doing today, right now, in this moment, because that's the only thing that's relevant, is this moment. Yesterday is dead and gone. Tomorrow's out of sight. And, and, uh, and so thinking... You know, okay, I, I, you know, guys, you, everybody on this program knows I tell, like to tell stories. Yesterday I was on the golf course, right? I am starting to play golf now after almost a 40-year hiatus, 37 years. I'm enjoying it. Now, here's an interesting thing. I do not, I did not make my definiteness of purpose in golf to become a low handicap golfer, okay? Now, does that, does everybody understand that? In other words, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not playing golf to become or to be a low-handicap golfer, although my handicap has dropped 10 points since I started playing again. But I am focusing on hitting the ball right, because it's fun to me to see the golf ball go where I tell it to go or go where I want it to go. And in order for me to do that, I have to do the right things. There's a right pattern, a right sequence of body movements that I have to do over and over again, regardless of what club is in my hand. So developing the habit of having your body automatically respond to that set of circumstances, to swing properly every time, is only, <clears throat> that skill is only gained by repetition of doing the right thing the right way over and over again. You can't think it. Okay, now this is where I disagree with a lot of gurus. I cannot think my golf swing, but I can put into my subconscious mind the impulse, the direction, the electrical impulses to have my hip swing, my hands follow through at the right time, my shoulders be in a certain position, my head be in a certain position, every time, again, regardless of the club. Then when you are on the golf course, there are times when because of the physical design of the golf course, the lie, as they call it, the, the, the lie of your ball in the fairway, you may have to adjust. You may have to bend your knees a little bit so that your club and the, and the ball are on the same plane all the time. But those are refinements, you see. But in order to enjoy a good round of golf, knowing that you did well, you have to literally discipline yourself into doing that. And it's not, you know, and then the joy is yours. Do I... Barry Groover, do you give a squat what my golf score is? No, none whatsoever. No, it's, it's irrelevant, isn't it? It's irrelevant to you, but it isn't to me. Actually, my score isn't relevant to me because I, I did make this statement the other day. I played a round of golf because I wanted to focus on something, and my score was ir irrelevant, but I did do what I wanted to do in that round of golf, you see. <laughs> if you got a hole-in-one, though, I would be very excited for you. Well, And you know that that's pure <laughs> luck. It has nothing to do with skill. Well, the skill part comes that you are moving the golf ball in the right direction. But when the golf ball hits the green, there are so many factors, in wind included, that is going to allow that ball to roll into the cup. Because it's almost impossible for you to hit the cup on the fly and have the ball stay in there because of the bin, you see. And so that roll to the cup is going to have a lot to do with which which direction the grain of grass was cut that day. But anyway, hole-in-one is impressive. No, I haven't had any, but yet my dad in his 80s had two of them. Oh, wow. 
And and the young lady that just passed away this year here in Chico, California, she had her hole-in-one at age 102. Wow. Yes, Elsie was 102 years old. She passed away this year at 107. She was on national TV, obviously. David Letterman had her, and, you know, she was on the Ellen DeGeneres show, and they bought her a golf cart. And she used to play bridge with my mom on Wednesday mornings. Elsie, she lived alone. She didn't live in a rest home. She lived by herself. She did quit driving. But she got a hole-in-one at 102 years old. And when you hear her tell the story, she says, well, it's, you know, my ball went in the right direction. But she did have the skill. She, her skill level was developed that she could put the ball from the tee to the vicinity or on the green, right? Everything else was kind of luck <laughs> for it to go into the hole. So anyway, uh, discipline. Discipline is what we're talking about. And the loosely, again, I, I was, I kind of, we got one. Thank you very much, Barry, by, by the way, of bringing up those good points. Hill distinguishes our right to have independent thoughts from our universal expression of those thoughts. How would you apply this principle today in the world of blogging and social media? Okay. I, blogging allows Barry Groover to express himself to the world. This is something we couldn't have done 20 years ago. We could have done it in our neighborhood. We could have done it in our local newspaper. We could have done it on a soapbox. But today, anybody, anywhere in the world can express their thoughts. Now, why do some people's blogs get read voraciously? And why do people have a bunch of emptiness out there and nobody following them? I've got a definite of definiteness of purpose Absolutely. and uh, their opinions are organized. Uh, their opinions are organized. You know, I, I'm going to put that part in there too. Because if you're going to make a statement that the sky is blue when it's really gray today, you know, uh, you have some good substantial uh, research to back up how you came to that conclusion. It, that's my opinion anyway. That's a scientific sign of me, you know. Uh, I, I, I think that dog is uh, is an Irish setter. Well, why do you think it's an Irish setter? You know, because it has short hair and it's black. You know, why do you think it's an Irish setter? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, the, the blogging and, and this whole um, uh, social media, we have a tremendous opportunity. And we've talked about it in our Wednesday night call. Uh, a young man I met uh, last week. Well, actually, I met him several weeks ago. He's writing it for one of my uh, magazine clients. He's writing articles for them. And, and he had a dream. He started a business at age 21, sold it at 28 very well. And his life, long ambition, was to have a <clears throat> horse trading facility in the Colorado Rockies and also have a place where people could come and spend the weekend, a little bed and breakfast, and take him on a trail ride up in the beautiful Colorado Rockies. He did it. He's doing it now, but he wants to move his business to the next level, and that's what we're talking about. Now, here's the interesting thing. I interviewed another horse trainer, world-famous horse trainer, on my other talk show, and this young man listened to that, and he heard me talk about how we need to promote ourselves, as I mentioned to Gerard King. And this young man, because he has definiteness of purpose, and that's been exhibited in his life so far, the next day he started blogging, and he sent me the outline of what he is going to blog about, when and how. And it was, it's not just random, you see what I mean? 
He's not just going to be putting down random, uncollected thoughts. And what he's going to write about is what literally thousands of people, you know, it's their dream. <laughs> you know, so so again, it's so exciting to 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 see things happen when people have a grasp and 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 have learned the power of the definiteness of purpose and apply the six principles Napoleon Hill outlines to those uh, to that definiteness of purpose. And it's not hard. It, it just takes time and energy. All the things, Barry, that you and I have talked about for a long time. Napoleon Hill and the devil have a little bit. We're going to finish off this chapter, and then we'll start a little bit on chapter 11. But Napoleon Hill's talking, again, those of you that aren't aware of the fact, um, Napoleon Hill is asking the devil how he controls the world. And here's a question. Your Majesty... I, I had no idea, Your Majesty, that people get into so much difficulty through uninvited expression of their opinions. But now that you've brought up the subject, I do remember writing the editor of a prominent magazine an uninvited letter of criticism, which cost me a fine position on his staff at a fat salary. The devil says that is a perfect example. The proper place to begin self-discipline is right where you stand. This is the devil speaking. The way to begin is by recognizing the truth that there is nothing for good or evil throughout the myriads of universes except the power of natural law. There is no individual personality anywhere throughout the myriad of universes with the slightest power of influence to influence a human being save nature and human beings themselves. There is no human being alive. No human being has ever lived and no human being ever will live with the right or the power to deprive another human being of the inborn privilege of free and independent thought. I posture to this audience today, you would be hard-pressed to realize this was written in 1938. Because today, in 2012, there is an insidious group of people around the world who, who believe that or who know that if we take away free and independent thought, we can be in power. Because again, there is no human being now living, no human being has ever lived, and no human being ever will live with the right or the power to deprive another human being of the inborn privilege of free and independent thought. If they make it so attractive to you, you will give up that freedom. They can't take it away from you, but they know you will give it up. They know you will give it up. Right now, today, there, there's, there's, there's work being done that if you start speaking out against certain things, you can have certain privileges taken away from you. But you see, if you didn't accept the privileges in the first place, it doesn't matter. But if you are on the dole, if you're on the dole, you better watch out what you say. Again, this book was not published because Napoleon Hill's own family was afraid that they would lose some of the things they had 
because this book steps on a lot of people's toes. That privilege is the only one over which any human being can have absolute control. No adult human being ever loses the right to freedom of thought. But most human beings lose the benefits of this privilege either by neglect or because it has been taken away from them by their parents, religious instructors, or educators before the age of understanding. These are self-evident truths, no less important because they are being called to your attention by the devil than they would have brought to you by the attention of my opposition. The devil's opposition is obviously God, right? Pretty controversial, eh, Barry? <laughs> yes, sir. Very deep-hitting. Yeah. But what are people going to lean upon in the hour of emergency when they know not where nor whom to appeal? Your house today, I just, the news this morning, early, tornado went through a mobile home park, a senior park in Florida. These people, you know, their homes were destroyed, right? The terrible effect of the storm, Sandy. Hey, these are real things. These had nothing to do with mankind. No, it was not a carbon footprint, ladies and gentlemen, that caused that hurricane or that caused Sandy. It's nothing new. It's been going on for a millennia. What might have been a bad choice is building your house right in front of the sea. I don't know, but that's not for me to say. <clears throat> the devil answers that question. Let them lean upon the only dependable power available to any human being. And what is that, Napoleon Hill queries? Themselves. The power of their own thoughts, the only power they can control and may rely on. The only power which cannot be perverted, colored, modified, and falsified by their dishonest fellow human beings. Napoleon Hill says, all you say seems logical, but why must I come to the devil to discover such profound truths? Let's get back to the seven principles. You have already disclosed enough information to show clearly that the secrets of how to break the power of hypnotic rhythm is wrapped in the seven principles. And if anybody wants to know more about the seven principles, go to bestbusinessmindset.com slash devil. Get a copy of this book and read it. Not like a novel. Read just a chapter or a, read a dialogue and then think about it and read it back to yourself. You have shown, too, that the most important of these principles is self-discipline. Now go ahead and describe the other five principles you have not mentioned. First, the devil says, let me summarize that my confession, that part of my confession we have already covered. I have frankly told you that my two most effective devices for mastering human beings are the habit of drifting and the law of hypnotic rhythm. Several chapters were discussed on drifting and hypnotic rhythm. I've shown you that drifting is not a natural law, but a man-made habit, which leads to man's submission to the law of hypnotic rhythm. Submission. That word's used a lot here, too. The seven principles are the media by which man may break hold of hypnotic rhythm and take possession again of his own mind. 
You see, therefore, the seven principles are the seven steps which leads victims of hypnotic rhythm out of the self-made prisons in which they're bound. The point he'll ask the seven principles are the master key. It's interesting, just as a sideline, remember that Napoleon Hill was a student of Charles Hannell who wrote the master key. And Napoleon Hill credits, credits week four or chapter four of Napoleon Hill's great book. By the way, free copies of that are available. Drop me an email, chuck at gmail.com, and I'll be sure that you get a free copy of the master key. Napoleon Hill credited that chapter, chapter four of the master key, to his focusing and securing a $105,000 a year part-time contract in 1919. The master key that unlocks the door to spiritual, mental, economic self-determination. Is that true? Yes. That's another way of stating the truth. Next week, we're going to start on learning from adversity. Learning from adversity. Chapter 11, page 201. Is failure ever a benefit to man? The devil says, (laughs) thank you, Laurie. It is. (laughs) <laughs> Excuse me. Learn from those temporary, quote unquote, failures. Uh, the only thing failure is 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 merely a, a wrong turn of direction for a moment. For a moment. <clears throat> but you have to get uh, when when you experience that and you fall on your derriere, you have to get back up on the horse and go again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, failure is <clears throat> failure is a <clears throat> word again in Facebook, and you know, there's all these people that have all these definitions of failure, you know, and uh, you know, you you want people to say no, that's BS. That's the biggest BS, by the way, in the sales world. I have. You know what? If you do your research and you only present your 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 proposition to people that you know are interested in the, and you've done a good job in that presentation of solving their problems because it's their problem, not yours. You'll very seldom ever hear somebody say no. They may put it off. They may put the decision-making process off, but they're not saying no. But if you go out there and spew your garbage unthinkingly, unsolicited, as they said in the last chapter, a lot of people are going to say no to you. Why do you have to have people say no? I never could understand that. I've been in sales all my life. When people would drive up and want to talk about building a horse barn, it wasn't a, the fact that they drove up said they wanted to buy a horse barn. Now, guess what? They may not have bought that barn from me, but in their mind, they were already had the mindset to buy a horse barn, correct? That's why they were there. So, therefore, my only job was to do the best I could to show them what suits their needs the best, most affordably. They had a choice to say, yes, let's get started today, because I'd always say, is there any reason why we can't get this started today? And they'd say, yes, we have to sell our property first. Okay, very fine. Why don't we start the engineering process? At least you'll have the engineering set of plans there for you the minute that you're ready for it. Or, or you know, so, so, but, but the point is, if they said, no, we're not interested, you say, what is it that wasn't clearly dis- defined here? And they say, we don't like you. And I'll say, that's fine. My competitor, Dave Hera, right down the road, eight miles, Barnes by Harris, 
is a little different personality, but he can show you a similar solution to your problem. I suggest you go down. See, at least I was keeping the business at home, right? Keeping it within my own county. So th- th- this whole thing that you're supposed to go get knows is pure crapola in my estimation. <laughs> is failure ever a benefit? Now, I failed. Yes, I failed in my, to myself by gaining weight, didn't I? But it was a benefit to me because it woke me up one day to decide to become fit again, and I'm back to almost 20 years ago activity level. Remember Gino uh, uh, G. Del Cinciano up in Canada? Look what he's done. He's winning all this competition in, in the five athlons or whatever they call them, where he's swimming and bike riding and running. And he decided to make that decision himself, to put himself into the position to do that at his middle age. Yes, indeed. Learning from adversity is the third of the seven principles. But few people know that every adversity brings with it the seed of equivalent advantage. Still fewer people know the difference between temporary defeat and failure. We're generally known I would, de- I would be deprived of one of my strongest weapons to control over human beings. Hey, everybody, <coughs> excuse me, we're going to finish up on this chapter to this chapter next week. I want to thank Gerara, Lori Polina, and Barry for stopping by. Um, we're going to ring off for now, and uh, if a couple of you want to hang out here at the end uh, after we stop the recording, you're more than happy to. So this is Chuck saying goodbye for now. Come back next week, and let's talk about outwitting the devil some more. Bye-bye. Hey, Barry. Hey. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway, and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.